10. We had to rise to the call here Friday night. Uh, we had a small group of people, but it was uh, I felt it was a good evening. People were responding and praying well. Matt Anderson led worship, and Matt Anderson does a great job. If you guys haven't heard Matt, that's, he's a good musician, isn't he? Yeah, he does, a good, he does a nice job with music. Plus, Matt's got all these toys. You know, he's got he's got this foot pedal that he can when he hits it. It sounds like he's hitting his foot's hitting a bass drum. And then he's then he's got this loop machine or whatever. He can play something, and then it goes. And just keep repeating it, and then it sounds like he's got two or three guitars up there. And then he he gets into the micro and he goes. And he backs away, and and the electronic thing goes. It just keeps it going. It sounds like there's a snare drum playing too. So he he's got all these toys. It's pretty fun to listen to him go from thing to thing. He's always he's moving around doing all these things with his stuff. It's pretty fun. But anyway, the reason I reference that is um, today I want to share something that kind of came from Bryce, the call. Sandy Alverson shared an interesting, uh, well, prophetic word and a, and a kind of a short thing off of that she had been reading out of this very scripture passage. And I'm going to take just a small portion of what she shared, but I want to kind of expand upon it because it prompted me to want to go read this part of scripture one more time and to take a look at it uh, from what she had shared Friday night. So I took that as a challenge to kind of get a little bit better look at it. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. We're going to be at verses 13 through 16, so right at the end of the chapter there. Um, and this is a pretty familiar piece of Scripture to most people. Um, it's been preached on multiple times in multiple ways. Uh, and this is the story when Jesus was teaching. Uh, one of the multiple times that he was down and teaching, Oftentimes when he was in the middle of teaching, something would take place. You know, it was always kind of an interruption. Jesus' life was filled with interruptions. <laughs> I mean, it's like he's always on the way to do this and something would happen on the way. Or he'd be sitting and doing this and something else would happen. Or he'd be in the boat and then this would happen. <laughs> it's one of these interruptions in the midst of when he was teaching. And when he was teaching, let's go from here. It says, verse 13, it says, And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw this, he was much displeased. And he said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. So what we see here is that while Jesus was spending this afternoon teaching and this period of time when people had gathered around to listen to him, uh, these parents came and you know, it doesn't tell us how many, you know, it doesn't matter, but, but, they, but they, it says they brought their children to Jesus and they wanted him to bless him, bless their children. Basically, all they were asking for was him to come and put their hands upon him. And, and I believe that they were, they were not looking for, you know, they didn't say come and pray for them and heal them or deliver them or anything to that effect. All they wanted him was to confer or pronounce a blessing on their children. Pretty s- simple request out of them. Uh, I think the inference here is uh, that they were concerned about their, the souls of their children, and they believed that Jesus' blessing would do some good to them. So they brought him that he might just touch them and bless them, knowing that he could reach into their lives, reach into their hearts, reach into their souls. Um, and I, you know, this is a pretty preached about lesson. I, you know, I did some research on Google. I just kind of typed in this passage, and then you, know, you type the passage in, and you can do sermons or... And there's, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. Now they have like a sermons.com. You can 
my, my job could be pretty easy. I could just type up sermon.com and print it out, and I could just preach. You know, these guys have done all these sermon stuff, all the sermon prep already. You know? But there was like eight pages of sermons on this particular part of Scripture. You know? It's just like dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of messages. And essentially, most of them are the same message. And, and you know, the theme of this is about children and not rebuking the children and bringing the children to us and the ministry of Jesus to children. And that's a vital part of this this story, and there's a great value in this. Uh, you know, little children are dependent upon their parents and for wisdom and care. And they want to be carried in their arms, and they go where we send them, and we provide for them. And, and all the good attributes of how we should view our lives can be viewed through the eyes of a child. It seems like you know, they have such potency in their lives, don't they, to, to watch the wonder of children. You know, like, like we have had our two of our granddaughters in the house for the last couple of days, and it's fun to watch, you know, these three- and four-year-old girls run around the house with this just amazement, you know, like they're waiting for the caramel rolls to cook this morning, and so, you know, Rebecca turns the oven on, and she gets down, and she's like, and looking in the oven, just watching, watching them cook. You know, they, they, <laughs> they, they sat down in front of the fireplace and just sat there and watched the fire burn, just like, it's just amazement on it. It's just fun to, to watch, you know, and I think that Jesus has this, valid point about how we should become more childlike. When we become, as adults, we lose that childlikeness of wonder and, and awe and how we just are willing to re- readily accept people and things. And, you know, I mean, we had a house full of relatives last night because my mother-in-law, was, we were going to celebrate her 90th birthday yesterday, so all of her kids came in. All of them flew in from all around the country, from South America, and all, they all flew to meet here. And so there was, like, cousins in our house, and these little girls were like, just like, hey, hi, you know, hugging them all. And you know, they never met these people. They didn't know who they were. They didn't know why they were in this house. But they're like, hey, and they're playing with them, and they're running around, and they just got this childlike wonder. And I was like, as adults, we, gotta, we have this kind of like, hey, well, I'm suspicious of your motives right now. And I'll keep my distance from you until I figure out that you're okay. <laughs> and, and I don't know what you want from me. Why are you calling me? And those kind of things were kind of suspicious. And, we, and it seems like it kind of gets worse and worse the older we get. <laughs> You know, we kind of lose that acceptance of everything. But those are good messages. Uh, but I want to focus on verse 16 this morning. You know, it, in this essence of what this story is, is how Jesus relates to children. And as a chronological thing, you know, these are little children. But Romans 8 tells us that we have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, So then the next verse says, the Spirit itself tells us, or witnesses to us, that we are the children of God. So as you see these points I want to make for just a few minutes here, apply them as a father to a child, as the father to you. Because this is an analogy. It's not just about, this is the, Jesus only does this to children. He does this to the adults as well. I want to verse, verse 16. There's three things I want to notice that Jesus does out of this. It says, first, it says that he took them up in his arms. I don't know, there's no connotation of exactly how this all happened if Jesus was just sitting on a rock and there was four or five or six kids and he just kind of hugged them all together or if there was like 50 of them (laughs) and he took them one at a time and he picked them up. We don't know, but... Most likely he picked up, probably touched them all and picked them up. And so he took them in his arms. He took them in his arms in a token of affection and concern for them. I looked up that phrase, um, to take up in one's arms. 
And, and it literally means to embrace. You know, to not just touch them, but to embrace them. To grab a hold of them and pull them close and, and kind of hold them tight. This idea of holding tight. And I believe that this is a simple act, but it's a fulfillment of a prophetic word from Isaiah. Isaiah 40, 11 is talking of Jesus. It says, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in his arms. Maybe that's in the back of his head when he's doing this. You know, that picture of him gathering the lambs and fulfilling a prophetic word here, that he would carry them in his bosom and he would gently lead them when they were young. I was thinking a little bit about this concept about touch, you know, and this idea of, of touch. And, um, it's interesting to talk about this idea of touch within the society that we're in now because it's gotten to pretty crazy. You know, we're getting all the stuff about you know, sexual abuse and all stuff and people being over-aggressive about that kind of stuff. But we have kind of lost the concept of touch in our society and the really the positive value of this idea of touch. You know, fathers sitting down and letting their daughters climb up in their lap and holding them. Scott, you're always very affectionate with your children. Oh, I see that. You know, with your kids, you're hugging them and touching them. And I've always tried to kind of be that way with my kids and try to be affectionate with them and touching them. I, I read this on a site um, from a, someone who'd done a study about the aspects of touch, and it says, after years spent immersed in the science of touch, I can tell you that there are far more profound things than, you, than we usually realize, that touch is a primary language of compassion and a primary means of spreading compassion. Again, this has got to be done in a healthy way. I don't you know, understand that people have abused this and done this wrong, but you know, in its pure form, it says, in recent years, a wave of studies have documented some incredible emotional and physical health benefits that come from touch. This research is suggesting that touch is truly fundamental to the human communication, bonding, and health. That's really a vital part of this, that Jesus touched these little children. And he took his, you know, his physical body and pushed his hands upon them and touched them. Jesus was and is conveying this act of trust, of compassion, and love to these little children. And if we could see that and picture that with us, that Jesus wants to reach down and envelop us in his arms, in arms of trust and arms of support. I, I read this in the Christianity Today, too. It says, throughout the scriptures, we meet people who engage in intimate physical touch. Esau meets Jacob on the road. He rushes to embrace him, embraces him, falls on his neck and kisses him. Paul departs from Ephesus and the elders of the church weep and hug and kiss him repeatedly. We can imagine them holding Paul's face in their hands, trying hard to remember every line and the tilt of his smile and the deep love in his eyes, that they would see him face to, would they ever see him face to face again? Jesus, in his last hour, reclines with his disciples on his breast. It says the early Christians greeted one another with kisses. This concept of touch, this concept of we want to be embraced with each other. It's interesting to note that Jesus did this, that he, he, he took these children in his arms. And there was a time, 30-some years earlier, when Jesus found himself in that situation as he went into the temple, and it's recorded in Luke 22, 28, that when he went into the temple, that Simeon, it says, took him in his arms. And he prophesied this great prophecy over him, that not my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord as he held that baby, as he put that touch, as he embraced him and he, and he empowered him 
And now he took up these children in his arms that are full of power and providence, in his arms that were full of pity and grace, in his arms that undergirded them from underneath with the everlasting love of a shepherd. That's how God wants to relate to us as a father. We're saying he's a good father today. He wants to relate to us in that way of undergirding us and strengthening us and surrounding us with his arms. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy before thee and shall, and shall destroy them. So you kind of get that connotation if you look at the picture. That's a good word picture. Is that it says that he will under, underneath and pick us up and grab us, and then it's like he holds them off. You know, it's like he, says he, he thrusts out the enemy before us. You know, maybe it's like that, how running backs, you know, and they run through there and they get that stiff bar, you know, it's like, poof, and hit the, hit the helmet and knock the guy back. He's got one arm, he's got wrapped around us and he's holding us up, and the other one is he's out there and he's, bam, he's thrusting the enemy out and he's keeping it from us and he's protecting us. That picture of what he wants to do with us. There's, these were the last words. Interestingly, I didn't know this before. This was another thing I learned in doing this. These words, the eternal God thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. These are the last words penned by Moses. The end of Deuteronomy. Is that? Deuteronomy 33, 27. The last words ever, whether Moses wrote or whether he told them to somebody or whatever, these are the last words that, came, that Moses put down, written, written down. Such a great truth that Moses leaves to us this picture of being in these powerful arms of Jesus, that he will protect us. And then these are the same arms that spread out wide and said, yeah, I love you this much, <laughs> and hung on the tree for us. We're saying about the rugged cross today, how he stretched his arms out and he died upon that. The second thing it tells us that he did here is that he so put, he put his hands upon him. And this is what Sandy was talking about Friday night, that she had studied out this verse, and she decided to look at what that meant, that, that he put his hands upon them. And so she looked up the definition of the word hands in the Greek, um, and she came with this idea of kyrie, uh, I think is how you say the word. Uh, but it says the, the definition of this is the idea of hollowness for grasping, literally or figuratively, power. And then it was akin to another word. And it says the meaning of the idea of a storm or a pouring out of rain. Now, it's just the tying of that is this hand is hollow, that there was a chasm, a hollowness, and he laid the hands upon him to fill that hollowness. And he's, they're saying that the idea of the rain coming down, this, this pouring out of the revival rain of God upon us is filling us with the rain of God. That there's a, a, a river of rain coming because he, his hands come in, they fill and grab a hold of that spot for us and, and pour out upon us. So see, this is a, a preposition of superimposition of time or place or order in a relationship of distribution. Kind of a technical term for a, a verse about putting his hands upon them. But it's the idea of putting them hands, denoting a bestowing of the Spirit upon them. That hollowness, he filled that hollowness with the Spirit of God upon them. So that connotation of laying on of hands 
that he was setting them apart for himself. We use that idea of laying on of hands um, has a couple of connotations in the church. Typically, it's when we lay on hands, we're imparting something. When we come to pray for someone, we put hands upon them and pray for them. So what we're doing is we are standing in the stead of Jesus and we're imparting a healing through us to them. The other thing is that is a, we, when we lay hands upon someone, there's a recognition of some form of like a ministry or something that's like when you're ordaining someone, they lay hands upon you and say, you know, we put you in place in this ministry. So there's, there's a power to this idea of laying on of hands. There's three other references to this exact phrase in the New Testament when I looked up these references. Mark chapter 6 talked about Jesus being in his own land, but says he could, he could do no mighty works there save that he laid hands upon a few folks and they were healed. So something happened. When he laid hands upon them, Jesus saw a few people healed anyway. So there's an, an inference that something happens when you lay hands upon someone. The second one is Mark chapter 8, 23. It says, he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of town, and when he had spit in his eyes, <laughs> like that idea that Jesus spit in somebody's eye. <laughs> that kind of ends up to be, you know, kind of offends our civility of Jesus that he was this nice, calm person. But he spit in the guy's eyes. It says, when he spit in the eyes, he put his hands upon this guy and said, do you see? And when he did that, the blind man, his eyes were opened. See? This idea that when he laid the hands on, something happened on this moment of laying on hands. And then we see this spins forward to Acts chapter 19, that the apostles must have seen something into this and followed the, the theme of this. And it says in Acts 19, 6, it says, And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So another instance is when he laid hands upon them, he conferred, inferred the Holy Spirit upon them and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to speak to prophesy. So this idea that's, is that something happens with the action of laying on of hands, that Jesus wants laying on of hands. Jesus was not afraid to touch other people. You know, he touched the lepers. That didn't repulse him to that. He didn't hesitate to handle the filthy feet of the disciples and wash those feet. You know, he was willing to put his hands upon people and touch people. And he wants us to do the same, right? To send the same message of love and humility and acceptance. Psalm 104 says, The Lord opens his hands. When, when the Lord opens his hands, we're filled with goodness. Isn't that a cool scripture? When he opens his hands, we're filled with goodness. Psalm 145, 16 echoes the same thought. It says, You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living creature. That's what Jesus wants to do. So there's something to this thing. His hands being a part of bringing something to us. And I believe that he wants to see us use our hands to help others. That we can lay our hands on people to heal and to impart. That we can provide this sign of authenticating him with this manifestation. At the beginning of his ministry, we read, when the sun was setting, all those who were sick with verses brought, were brought to him and he laid hands upon them and healed them. So how can our hands help to bless others? Can we 
wipe the brow of a fevered child, cook a meal for somebody that's lonely, cut flowers for the neighbors, write a note for somebody that's struggling, knock on the door of somebody who needs help. Just using our hands and ways to reach out to people. I can see the little Jesus' rough-hewn hands, you know, resting in this posture of prayer, you know, the carpenter who took time to pray and these rough hands, but yet they were gentle. Oh, it'd be like him and have that touch and to look down and have that care for people. The third thing was that he did is, as the parents asked of him, he blessed them. So the first thing is he picked them up in his arms, showed them that they were his, gave them a sense of security. The second thing was he laid hands upon them and filled them and imparted to them the Spirit of God. And the third thing, which was the only thing that asked, was that he blessed them. And this word in the Greek, it's just from a compound word here, to speak well of, that is to bless or to invoke a benediction upon. And then there's a, another word that's part of that. And it says the word adverbally, well done, good, and doing well. So that's so what he blessed them. He spoke. He spoke a blessing to them of well done. He spoke something to them to bring them to a place of, of hearing and acceptance. He blessed them with all the spiritual blessings to come. That he wanted to come and he wanted to bring this blessing to them. Paul chronicled this in Ephesians chapter 1. And this is a, a very cool chapter. I want to read the first 14 verses here of, this, of Ephesians. The very beginning of the book of Ephesians. Listen to these words. Listen to this. Hear what he's saying to us. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of of our trespasses according to his riches of his grace, which he lavishes, it's not even cheap, he lavishes it upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purposes, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you have heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believing in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What a great bunch of verses. Think of all the meat <laughs> of what he's blessed us with in those verses. 
You guys ought to be up out of your chairs hearing those kind of things. What a great thing. All that he's promised to us. And speaking this blessing to the children, he was declaring to them his acceptance and his passing on of his support to them and blessing them with all spiritual blessings. And we see this worked out in the Word. In Hebrews chapter eleven twenty five, it says that Jacob leaned on his staff and blessed his children. It, this is one of the cool stories of the Bible, is that Jacob's at the end of his life, and he, can bear, and he's, he knows he's dying. He's essentially hours from death, and he's in his deathbed. And his sons come in. You know, we all do those visits when people are, you know, at the end, you know. And it says that he struggled, and he got out of bed, you know, they're probably saying, oh, man, you don't have to do this. And, and he's struggling. It says that he stood up and he leaned on his staff. And he leaned on it, and one by one, he blessed his children. And he passed on his blessings to each one of his children. And if you look prophetically, you could see that the blessings that he spoke to his children all came true. Read his story. It's interesting. What he blessed, what he prophesied over each of his children came true. But he did that, and he, he, well, he blessed them. This is the same phrase, the same word, the same Greek word he's using in this portion of blessing the children. This is the exact same word of John chapter 12. It says, when the people cried out when he came into Jerusalem. And they said, bless the Lord. It's the same thing, same word. As Jesus was taken up to leave this earth in Luke 24, it's the same word that he blessed those that were there. And he passed on this inheritance of a blessing to them as he left the earth. At the Last Supper, he says he broke the bread and he blessed it. It's the same word. This pronouncement of a blessing. He tells us in Luke 6, 28, to bless those that we really like. Oh, you guys have read the scriptures. I guess I can't pull that over on you. We're supposed to bless those that persecute us. It's the same thing put this blessing upon them. And in Luke 2.28, I've already referenced this. It says that Simeon took him in his arms and blessed him. It's the same thing. What a crazy thing. It happened to him when he was an infant. Now he's picking up babies and he's passing that same thing on to them. Exactly the same thing that was in his DNA now being passed on. I believe it's good for us to remember that Jesus wants to pick us up in his arms that he wants to lay his hands upon them, us and impart into us his spirit and that he wants to bless us with all the blessings of heaven. Would you stand with me? As, we're gonna, as I'm going to close here, I'm going to close with a classic benediction over you that I grew up with in the Lutheran church, that we would speak this at the end of a service before we would leave, that we would be blessed. Some of you that might bring back memories being in this. If this is what was spoken to me when I was a child. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for being here. That is numbers 33, yes.
Yeah, they, we used that many, many Sundays <laughs> when I was growing up. That's how we would end.